0: Are you guys ready to spend a day with Jesus? (laughs) Buckle up, (laughs) because this one's kind of a rolling one and everything. So let's ask God to, Spirit, to really help us grasp what he wants us to grasp. God, we thank you again for your word and for the ability to to comprehend it and for your Spirit, who is the teacher, and um, we just anticipate what you're going to teach us out of this today and help us to apply it um, from here on out. Amen. Yes, it starts off with, um, you know, on verse 22 of Luke 8. One day, he gets in a boat. One day, they're going to go for a boat ride. Um, it's one day in the life of Christ. Now, these days are very crowded, very, very crowded days, um, I ran into a, a doctor friend a while back and um a local doctor in the community of Abingdon and he doesn't shop in Abingdon. If he shops, he goes to, you know, Blowing Rock or some place like that because yeah, they're they're on him. So So with Jesus here and how popular he's getting, he can't go any place without the crowd pressing in on him. They were very crowded days. Life gets overwhelming, and even Jesus at times needs a break. So remember, he's come to restore life and to alleviate alleviate suffering, and even himself, he knows how to take care of himself. And it's interesting, because last week... um, In the other part of chapter 8, remember his mother was so worried about him because he wasn't really taking care of himself, in her opinion, or she was hearing that, you know, he's going crazy, you know, he's got all these people around him, he's not eating, he's not sleeping or whatever, and so here comes mom, you know, trying to get in. You You need to take care of yourself. So we see it here. Maybe his mother did bend his ear, I don't know. It was the very thing that Mary feared that he needed some rest. So he tells his disciples, let's take a boat ride. Let's get in that boat and sail across to the other side of the lake. Um, And because he was so exhausted, we know what's happened. Nice, glassy lake boat ride. We're cruising over there. Okay. So on the day he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go for a ride the other side. And he falls asleep. The man is exhausted. Sometimes you wish you could sleep like this. I watch Winnie sleep. It's like, man. (laughs) just And they're out, and they're asleep, and it just looks so peaceful. So here's Jesus in a deep sleep in the boat. And all of a sudden we have, in verse 23, the second part, a windstorm comes down on the lake, and they were filling with water. The boat was filling with water, and they were... In danger. The scripture says they were in danger. So these storms that would come down on the lake would be in the hills and they would actually truly come down. It was a geographical situation where it would come down from the mountains many times without notice. And if the wind was really strong, it would just whip up the water on that, on that lake, on that sea, um, and just turn it and tossing it. So this is what happened um, the storm was fierce. The boat was taking on water, and it was a dangerous situation. Now, these weren't novices in this boat. These were fishermen. They were expert fishermen. They knew how to navigate on the sea. They'd been on it many times, but Scripture says that they were afraid. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? They were afraid because they thought that they were going to perish. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We're dying. This is like the end. They had done everything that they could do. They were at their wits end. Every professional thing, whatever they do, rigging the ship up or whatever, before they disturbed Jesus. It's interesting that he just truly continued to sleep through all this stuff. But they got to the point where their anxiety was so extreme, that's what woke them up. His concern for the men in the, in the boat, their fear is the thing that really woke him up. And they woke him up because there was a strong need. And that's what, remember, he came to restore life and to alleviate suffering. These men were suffering. They really thought that they were going to die. And he turns to them when they wake him up, and he rebuked them the wind. Notice he doesn't rebuke them. Why would you wake me up? We're not going to eat. He's not like that. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And now they're afraid, different kind of afraid now, kind of a whoa, who, who is this? It says they marveled. Who is this, Jesus, that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obeyed. I mean, from this roaring thing to all of a sudden, he says to them, peace, be still. Glass. What an experience. That would have been a trip in itself to experience that. And he asks them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Well, what were they afraid of? They had a lack of faith in the mission that God had called them to do. They believed that Christ had selected them, called them out, teaching them, living with them, you know, and this is what you're going to do, you're going to go out, and this is how people are going to be with you and stuff, and this is the gospel, you're going to spread the word. And if they all died that would end. So God told them, this is what we're going to do. And they didn't believe that they were actually going to do that because they were going to die. Do you see what their lack of faith was in that? God's got plans for us. He knows the plans he has for us. He's had them before the beginning of time. He knows what it is. And they're not going to be and abruptly because of some other external experience. God will fulfill that stuff. So that was their lack of faith. They had this mission to bring about the kingdom of God, and my gosh, if we die, what will happen then? So it was that fear and anxiety that he was addressing with them, and his words to them. I mean, he let this to have the storm get to the point where these professional fishermen were truly... Thinking they were going to die, he pushed them right to the limit, didn't he? Right to the limit. No matter what you're going to experience in life, as you go out and you preach the gospel and you spread the word during this time, during this dark time in history, you're going to be up against so many things. But you know what? You keep doing what you've been called to do. So this was a lesson for them to 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 understand that if God's called us to do something. It'll happen. No boat is going to sink with Christ on board. There's many songs about that. No waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. Ain't going to happen. So Jesus patiently and tenderly demonstrates his ability to care for them, to alleviate their anxiety. It's interesting that... Uh, Luke doesn't say it, but Mark 4.39 does use the phrase, peace, be still. Where have we seen that before? Hush, be muzzled, be muzzled. The same phrase that we've seen used with demons. So was Satan behind the storm? Probably, you know, whipping it up and everything. You know where they were headed, right? We've read ahead of the story, so we know what's going to happen. Satan uses doubt. Depression and despair. The three D's doubt, depression, and despair. So if you're falling into any of those things, it's time to take a check, a deep breath, crack open the Word of God, and start getting your thoughts back on what it needs to be back on. Because your mind has gone to places that it didn't need to go if you've got doubt, and depression, and despair in your call for God. Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah, it still applies to us, though. God's plans cannot be thwarted. There's such peace with this when we realize he's the sovereign God. He's got authority even over the wind and the water. This is what he's getting. He's wanting his disciples to understand. His authority is something they've never even comprehended before. And in this lesson, in this boat ride, it's like, wow, even the weather can listen to him. So they're in the boat. Things are calm. We're on to the next teaching. Remember, he's teaching his disciples through this. And we're headed over to the other shoreline there. After his nap, they're headed off. And this next one is going to be about three worlds colliding. We've got the underworld of the demonic evil spirits. We've got the human reality that we kind of live in, this dimension. And then we've got the overworld and the divine control. And Jesus is going to teach them. That he's got all of it under his control. This is going to be a lesson that you're not going to forget this one. So we get over on the other side. And before we get into it, I want to say this. Because all you animal lovers out there. And pigs are cute. Piglets are cute. Right? They are. Why did Jesus put the pigs in the thing? and some, Well, that's not the issue here. The issue here is... These people, these gentiles had no right having pigs in Jewish territory. Pigs and Jews, it's not good for Jews. There were some things with the pigs, okay? So they were actually trafficking or doing something illegal over there on this other other shoreline that wasn't good. And as we get into it and realize what these people were really all about, there were some very evil, deep, dark things happening there. The pigs just kind of went along with it, whatever they were doing. So... We don't even know if that's where they wanted to go. I mean, this ship went all over the place. Maybe they were headed over there, the disciples in their mind, and they ended up over here in this, you know, demonic field. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it wasn't a mistake by God to get them over there where they needed to be. And I, you know what? I just thought of something. What if, because he's sovereign, he knows everything, what if really they were planning to just navigate that boat to this point point? But the circumstances of the storm drifted out this way, where God really wanted them to be, right? We make plans, but God directs our steps. So they're going to be confronting the underworld of evil. Jesus is heading right into the storm of what's happening on the other shoreline in this graveyard. Um, It's almost waiting for him. And he's bringing his disciples with him. Come on, boys. Here we go. Here's another lesson for today. Evil spirits. Verse 26. Let's get there. Verse 26. And they sailed to the country of the garrisons, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped on the, out on the land, there met him a man. I think Mark has two men. They met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in the house, in a house but among the tombs. So here's this man that was in the grip of thousands of demons. But he lived in a city of a bunch of people that were in the grip of greed. This was a very dark place on the planet that they landed in. Evil spirits... Um, we're going to learn a couple of things about him here. in Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, the spokesman of the head demon in there, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, obnoxious, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, do not torment me. So they know, um, they know scripture. They know. They know that their time is short. They know what's going to happen to them at the end. They know this, and they know that they will all be judged at the designated time. So there's fear there. They recognize who God is. They recognize the authority of Jesus. Don't judge us before the designated time. Demons, fallen angels, are powerful uh, uh, creatures Create creatures. I'll just say that word. Creatures. Um, We don't mess with them. We don't mess with them. Okay? We talk to God. God's the one who messes with them. They're more powerful than people. They're more intelligent than people. They've been around much longer than we have. Okay? So if anyone's going to deal with them, it's going to be God who's going to deal with them. Or his angelic hosts, where we saw in Daniel last or a couple years ago where they were fighting, Gabriel and the... um, prince of Persia. We don't take them on. It's foolish if we do. So God is the one who's going to deal with this stuff. Um, Verse 29, I think I already read that. It's talking about what happened to this man. He was a maniac. He was a maniac. And he ran around with no clothes on, so he was exposed to the elements. He didn't live in a house, so he was exposed to the elements. Um, So he couldn't control that. There was a movie, there is a movie still out, called Nefarious. And if you have not seen that, and if you... It's, a, it's, it's accurate. Um, yes, it's an accurate movie about a man on death row, and they were trying to see if he was crazy or not. If he's crazy, then they're not going to put him on death row, but if he really committed all these horrendous crimes, then he's going to get the death sentence. And the whole movie is this uh, unbelieving um, psychologist comes in, or psychiatrist could have been, mental health person, comes in to interview this man to see if he's crazy or not. And it is a, it's very insightful, phenomenal, and accurate what this man is going through when he was demon-possessed and the torture that was happening inside of him and the lack of control that he had over it. Um, Nefarious. So they're also very restless. So we look at verse 30, and Jesus um, asked him, you know, what's your name? And there's legions, so there's thousands of them in there, um, begging him not to do, but get, you know, let us go into these pigs. We don't want to go to the abyss. The abyss is a place you don't want to go. Hell is a place you don't want to go. People don't understand that. I've talked to people, well, if if I go to hell, I go to hell. Like, is just going to be a big bar party down there? No. The abyss. The abyss is the bottomless pit. It's mentioned nine times in Scripture, this one here, one time in Romans, and the other seven are in Revelations. Just the word bottomless pit. How many, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll, I'll rephrase it. When, when you have these dreams of falling, aren't they horrible? That's like panic. You know, you're grasping falling dreams, whatever. Or, or you, or you um, I slipped in the garage the other day and I went down and there's this panic. There's this falling. But if you're in a free fall for the rest of your life, you know, a bottom, where you're never able to put your feet on solid ground, or it's just this fear of just, you don't even know where you are, and it might be dark, it might be cold, I I don't know, but there's no God down there, and it's like this panic, a constant state of panic, that you're going to smash on the ground, or, you know, that's just a, just wrap your mind around that for a minute, that's the bottomless pit, they didn't want to go there, so Jesus doesn't send them there. He sends them into this, what may have been a, even a herd of a thousand pigs, I don't know, but they, he sends them over to the pigs, and I look at that and I think, well, was he even being compassionate to the demons? I don't know, I don't think so. I think he was just trying to also kill two birds with one stone. He's going uh, um, <laughs> to... Clean up this guy, and meanwhile he's going to destroy this whole trafficking of whatever was going on over there with these pigs. So he let him go do that. Pigs immediately rush off the hill and drowned and and then you can ask, well, what happened? Did they go in the fish? I mean, where did they go? Because demons are restless. They cannot function or do any of their bad things unless they are in some kind of a physical vantage ground like a human and if they can't be in a human then some other lower form of physical life so he sends them there and and they're out of the way and and they're they're gone so what happens next it gets reported back to the townspeople because the people the the hired help that were watching the herds of pigs panicked and think oh we're going to be in big tro- we're going to be in really big trouble now because we just lost the whole herd over the side of the thing so we better go into town tell the, the big boss that we've lost their pigs and they and tell them the whole story and they come back and they went out to see what happened and they came to jesus and they found this man from whom the demons had gone sitting calmly at the feet of jesus clothed, and in his right mind, and that really freaked him out, and those who had seen it told them how the demon, this man had been healed, they saw it, they saw the man, they saw how it happened, they used the word healed, and yet all the people of the surrounding countryside asked them to get out of there. Because they were seized with a great fear. Not just a fear, a great fear. And so he gets in the boat and he leaves. How can people see something miraculous like that? See a man that the whole city had tried to confine with chains and stuff and were even afraid to go out there because he was a maniac. Doing well. How can that be translated into something negative that they wanted nothing to do with this Jesus man? They couldn't see. Sin is so blinding. They couldn't see the miracle of the man because of what? The loss of the pigs. They lost, their, they lost the pigs. Every, everything else. They, they couldn't see anything else. Jesus demonstrated what he could do, but their concern was about, oh my goodness, if they're going to have him do that, what is he going to ask us to do if he hangs around here anymore? He needs to get out of here. Their hearts, like hard-packed roadside soil, remember the sower and the seed? Some of it went where the roads packed down, fell upon that. Their hearts were like that, and the seed of the gospel couldn't penetrate it. They saw, but they could not see. We saw that in Luke 8. Remember, the scene? They, seeing they wouldn't understand, hearing they wouldn't get it. This is an example. Jesus had taught his disciples that. Now here we are, over here, the land, the country of the garrisons, and I'm going to demonstrate it to you right here. And I bet you, I, I don't bet you, I, I could imagine that the disciples were like... And they got back in that boat, and went over back over to the other side to where people were welcoming them, waiting for them, a friendlier group. Just the conversation they talked about in that boat ride back over must have been phenomenal. Wow. I can't believe it. Did you see that one person? They looked like they were going to believe, but no, you know, and that one, and when they all started coming from town, I thought they were going to kill us all again, worse than the storm. They just must have had a really just been able to process that with Jesus and, and get an understanding of when you go out, when they go out to preach the word, the good news, the good news of, of eternal life and salvation and forgiveness of sins, some people are going to hate you for it. So back on friendlier shores, they're waiting for him, anticipating his arrival. Now, we have two stories here to end up chapter 8, two stories that interlace with each other. And remember, Jesus is using his authority to give life and to alleviate suffering. And we have two stories here, one that's talking about giving life and one that's talking about alleviating suffering. And they're intertwined it's interlaced here. It starts with one story, and then we kind of get interrupted with the other story. But the, the one story is still continuing on because Jar, you know, Jairus is still with Jesus and stuff. So what do we need to learn from all this stuff? What is, what is the Spirit of God trying to tell us through Luke's recording of this here? Twelve years. Did you pick up on the number twelve? For the past twelve years, this little girl was twelve years old the past 12 years, this adult woman has been suffering from some kind of a illness of bleeding. And when you, in that culture, when you were bleeding, whenever a woman had her menstrual cycle, she'd have to be cast off outside. If you ever read the book, The Red Tent, they they put them outside the city. Till it was done, they come back in. Any kind of blood, any kind of bleeding, it was like not good, unhealthy. Um, They had some superstition around all this stuff for this woman because she was bleeding for so long. They thought, you know what, it's probably due to some kind of immoral behavior that she had. So she was shunned away for 12 years. She'd been isolated. She had this horrible sorrow. She was spending money, all her money on people that couldn't help her, probably just knew they couldn't help her and took her money anyways. And she had no human touch for 12 years. Jarvis had a daughter, and she was 12 years old. And for his past 12 years, his life was filled with joy, laughter, dancing. Little girls are fun. Boys are okay, but... <laughs> Sorry, Daisha. But little girls, you know, you dance in the kitchen with I mean, they're just kind of fun. You can dance with boys too. I don't mean to be too sexist in that, but 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 his household was just filled with joy, um, and she was dying. So there's a contrast here. One man that had 12 years of joy, now in deep agony, he leaves his dying daughter to go in pursuit of Jesus to get him, to bring him back, because he heard that he can heal. He he hears that, you know, he's the one, you just need to get Jesus to your daughter. And this woman who was at the hopeless situation, had tried everything, had no resources left to get any kind of hope, had heard that Jesus was going to be passing through. And she drummed up some more hope, and she was coming to him from a 12 years of just horrible suffering. Two different kinds of griefs were coming into intertwining with this story. Two different levels of faith. The woman's faith was, if I can just touch him. Jairus' faith, if I can get Jesus to come here. Which was less of a faith than the centurion had. Remember, the centurion—you just say the word. Jairus's faith wasn't as strong as that. So, we cut into the story of the woman. People are pressing all around Jesus. I mean, it was like, I, I, that would be very—you know—forget about your personal space. You know, we all have a bubble, kinda. You know, and if you ever. You know when you're in someone's bubble, if you step in closer and they back out? You know, we all have this distance. And it's not six feet, okay? (laughs) But they were like all, all, like on him. I mean, it was like bodyguard, whatever, walking through this, you know, pushing it through. And it was slow going. And everybody's around him, pressing on him and just reaching out, you know. um, And she was desperate how she got through that crowd was a miracle in itself but she believed that she just needed to touch him and she gets through to him and she touches him she came up behind him in verse 44 and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased So what's with the robe here? What's with the fringe? They're making a big deal of the fringe here. Jesus' garden. He was, remember, he was ordained. He was, you know, had gone to all the things that little Jewish boys, the oldest Jewish boy goes to. We've learned about all this stuff. So he most likely wore the gown that they all wore. And it was like a, um, more like a, a robe type thing. And at the end, they had tassels. Numbers 15 Verses 37 to 41, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore your heart after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So the tassels and the blue cord was there as a reminder for the people when they looked upon it, they were supposed to follow the commandments of God and not their own ways. So here's Jesus and he was walking through there. Maybe he had one corner flung up over his shoulder. I don't know. But For whatever reason, if you can maybe envision this, I tried to play it in my head. If you have a a blanket kind of robe and you fling this one up, there's a tassel hanging off of his back, isn't there? And she gets through the crowd somehow, and she grabs hold of this. I don't even think it was something like this. I think it was a, a desperate, oh, my God, I got it, kind of thing. Or maybe she did touch it. I don't know. But she touches that, and immediately she was healed, um, she thought, though, that it was just the touching him. She thought it was something magical about this that had happened. Now, it was a very immature faith, but if we look at Acts chapter 19, 11 and 12, Paul. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. When we studied that in Acts, remember, it was just when the church was so, so very young that even these little things, and this was just the apostles, this other stuff, magical thinking ain 't happening anymore. this was just getting the church started with the apostles that those kinds of things God allowed to happen so that 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 their faith could start to grow to make almost like a transition a connection to to paul and and what he was saying to this so it 's like a matter of here 's Jesus and he 's healing these people. Um, and doing all this stuff, but that's not the final message. The final message is he's bringing salvation, okay? So it was a way to not lure, but to, to bring the people to a fuller knowledge that was going on. So she touches him, and she's healed. And we find out that Jesus is, he knows it, and he knows who it was. But he does this for her, and we, for Jairus too, I kind of missed a spot back there, but Jairus had gone to him and said, my daughter's dying, you need, please need to come. So he's right there with Jesus the whole time, probably like this. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Don't, don't, just doesn't matter about her. Come on, come on, come on, right? So he asks, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and pressing you could be anybody. And Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people, This is what he wanted her to say why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He drew her out to give her testimony. He drew her, he invited her out of these 12 years of isolation, always hiding, not any kind of human touch, anything, all by herself. He draws her into the public eye to have her testimony. What a beautiful picture that is. And who's standing right next to him? is Jairus. And he's hearing the words. And and what what do you mean you have been saved? Or you have been made well? Go in peace. Um, Your faith, your faith has made you well. He's saying to her, it wasn't the fact that you touched me. It was no magical tassel at the end of my robe. Your faith, is what healed you. Your faith is what made you well. So with these words in Jars's head, they start to take off again. But what happens? Well, they wasted too much time with this woman. Too much time. As you're walking along, as he was talking about it and everything, someone from his house comes up and tells him, your daughter's dead. Don't waste his time anymore. It's too late. Messed up. Delay. Was he angry at the woman? Was it what was going on in his head? And Jesus says to her to him, um, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Only believe and she will be well. Wow, that's exactly what she just said to that woman. Your faith has made you well. Only believe. And she will be well. What? It's just kind of going on in his head as he walked. Do you even think that she, he was going to raise her from the dead? What did any of that mean? So they're going along. And there was hope. Maybe a little shaken. Not sure what to do with any of that stuff. But they get to the house. And this just this is another. And the disciples are all here. Remember, they're in the school learning, how, you know, learning what they need to do. And when they came to the house, he allowed no one to enter except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child, right? If we go back to the other Gospels, we can know that they were just making fun of Jesus. Everybody was there weeping and mourning. And he says, don't, don't weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, and they scorned him, and they mocked him. <laughs> we know a dead body when we see one. The man's crazy. This, this kid's dead, um, we've been watching her die for the last days, watching her die. And but he kicks them all out. I just love that. <laughs> You're not coming in here. You're not going to see what I'm going to do. You don't believe. Stay out here. He only brings in a handful of people. Um, and he takes the little girl by the hand, child or little lamb. I like that phrase better in the original. Little lamb, arise, and her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed them to give her something to eat, because it had been several days, and she was hungry. So, it wasn't death. That wasn't death. When our, bo- when our spirit leaves our body, we're not dead. Death is something far deeper than this. Death is that bottomless pit experience. She wasn't dead to Jesus. The Spirit returned. She was never dead, actually. Um, never dead. Those you can kind of grapple with some of those thoughts for a while and stuff, too. Um, we'll end it with this. Because this is kind of a funny verse, too. Verse 56. He tells people, don't say anything to anybody. Yeah, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Now, sh- Well did he mean that? No, that would have been impossible to do to keep it a secret. The word the news was gonna spread. What he was really saying there is in Acts eight, thirty one to thirty to thirty one. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days he will rise again. And he said this plainly. So what Jesus was telling them is don't go and talk about this yet. Because the story is not over yet. Don't proclaim to people that I'm a healer and a miracle worker. Which he was. That was true. But there's more to the story. Wait. Wait. Wait before you make the big announcements. Till after I've suffered, been rejected, crucified, and risen again, that's the story. That's the complete story. Then tell everybody. Then proclaim. There's no gospel of Jesus Christ without the cross. That's what he meant by that. Okay? So we've been to school with the disciples today. It's quite a lesson. Um, what do we pull from this? What, what did he want them to know about all of this? Is that the world is crazy. Of course, we didn't have to read this to know quite all of that. But it is crazy. It's a crazy, evil, evil, God-hating, Christian-hating, anything good, any life-hating, destroy life, create suffering for everybody. That's the world that God has put his church in to be a light, to speak the truth, to share the gospel. And when we do that, these are the things that are going to happen to us. They're going to hate us. They're going to reject us. They're going to kick us out of town. They're not going to let us be in their club or whatever, in their little social network. That's okay. He didn't force himself on that, did he? But there will be some who will receive the truth. And that's what it's all about. We don't stop sharing the gospel. And the final thing to pull from this is, we don't have anything to worry about. When it's time for us to go, we'll go. And until then, he's going to take care of us. And he's going to use everything about all of our circumstances for his glory. If he's going to have us go through a trial in some suffering or whatever because he actually wants our boat to land over here and not over here that'll happen okay so we've got to really trust him god thank you for your word and thank you that you have just we're in the boat with you and um you're we're in the palm of your hand we're in the cleft of the rock you were in the fortress of who you are nothing 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 Not heights, nor deaths, nor evils, nor principalities can separate us from your love, that you will care for us and provide for us all the days of our lives here and beyond. May all of it be for your glory. Amen.